Well, we're starting a new series uh, that's going to answer the question, how do I live life with purpose? And so living on purpose and how do I do it? And there's a number of topics we're going to be touching on, but clearly this is the introduction. I was reflecting on some of the stuff that came out of COVID and we're almost all out of it. And I don't want to keep going back to the COVID thing. But one of the things that struck me is the nervousness with which we now make plans. Because if we ask for a show of hands, I think everybody's hand would go up. What did COVID interrupt in terms of your plans? For some, it was dramatic, experiencing incredible loss with somebody who died and you couldn't get to the funeral or something of that nature. For others, it was holidays or some other trips that were necessary that suddenly we were thrust back into a lockdown and all the things that we'd planned became interrupted. There was a major disruption. And I think some of us are still carrying that thought. Well, I'm a bit nervous about making plans. You see, the scripture says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when we've got plans, we're hoping to do this, we're hoping to do that. And when we get blocked or stopped for whatever reason, not just COVID reasons, it says that that happens a few too many times and something happens to you on the inside. And every one of us wants to live a life with purpose, with intention, not just drift our way through life. And God definitely wants you and I to live a life with purpose. God has placed both eternity and a sense of destiny in every single heart. And I want you to ask you, just for the moment of reflection, well, what's that sense of destiny feel like? Or is there still an anxiety around it? I'm not sure if the things that I hoped for, I dreamed for, I planned for are ever going to happen in my life. We don't like that feeling of standing still, of not moving forward. And we constantly need to move towards some goal or some kind of purpose. And there's an anxiety that comes, an uns- a sense of disruption when we are thwarted from those purposes. And as we come to the end of this year, we want to be able to look back and say, you know, I recovered some things. And I stayed up front, COVID did not take God by surprise. He still had plans for us and things for us to do. And I think as a church and as individuals, we're beginning to reap some of the things as much as we hated it all, that COVID allowed us to do and to do differently. But at the end of this year, you will end up somewhere in terms of your life, somewhere in terms of your relationship with God, somewhere in terms of your relationship with family, friends, somewhere in terms of work, if that's what you're still doing, somewhere in terms of your finances, somewhere in terms of your own personal well-being, We'll all end up somewhere at the end of this year. And I believe God wants us to finish strong and maybe to regather some things that we'd let go during the season that we've been through globally and just pick up so that when we enter 2023, that's a terrifying thought right there, but anyway, we'll leave that alone. It'll be with a sense of vision and purpose, some kind of goal 
Proverbs 29 and verse 18, many of us are familiar with that. Without a vision, the people perish. But just getting a sense of that word vision, it says where there is no prophecy or prophetic, prophecy declaring the future, prophesying into our lives, people cast off restraint. Without prophetic vision, another translation says, people run wild. And the word for vision here, does not refer to some kind of man-made thing or just a good idea. It's that sense of God by His Spirit speaking into our lives about our future, about our destiny, about the things that are possible that He's planned for us. Something that's breathed on by the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if you just take a, a moment right now to consciously just invite the Holy Spirit to breathe fresh prophetic vision over your life, maybe to awaken something, maybe to redirect you in some way, maybe something fresh or new that's just starting to bubble up and you're not sure if it's God or not, but say, Holy Spirit, would you speak into this? I need that sense of a prophetic vision that comes from the heart of God for my life, something that's tailored for your gifts and the opportunities that are before you. And so we just take a moment, Holy Spirit, to just breathe and invite you to begin to speak to us about living life on purpose, connected to your purpose and destiny. I love and I love Ephesians 2.10, where it says, we are His workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works that He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But I read it in a different translation and it just brings a sense of, of just freshness to it, I hope for you, it did for me. We have become His poetry. God's composing a poem of your life. We have become His poetry, a recreated people that will fulfil the destiny He has given each of us. And we are joined to Jesus Christ. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works that we do to fulfil it. And I want to prophesy that over my life today, but over yours as well, over those who are watching in our online campus, that, that, that prophecy that God's got things planned for you, things that are still undiscovered, things that may be just bubbling up, things that you thought you'd lost, but now is a season of regathering those things and reawaking those things that the poem that God is writing, composing about your life and mine, we'd have a sense of excitement again and a sense of destiny and a sense of purpose attached to us. You see, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works that we should do to fulfil it. I love something that Craig Groeschel said, that everybody ends up somewhere, but not everybody ends up somewhere on purpose. So if we keep in this drifting mindset, and I'm speaking generally, you may be going, oh, I'm not drifting. I know exactly, you know, well done. But if we keep it, we'll end up somewhere. But will it be where God wants us to be? Will it be intentional? Will it be on purpose? 
I love the GPS on my phone. I use Waze because it warns me about police vehicles and everything else. And in Canberra, potholes. Have you noticed that? Is that pothole still there? Before you even get there, you can go, yep. It's now a canyon, it's a gorge. Sightseeing tour has been taken through it. You know? But I love GPS. And years ago, Linda and I went to the UK for a holiday. Uh, I've got a sister over there and we caught up with them. And we were travelling from around Birmingham to Norwich and uh, uh, we tried to hire a GPS. It was before the whole thing on your mobile phone and everything else and couldn't get one. They were all uh, being rented out. And so we went to where is it? Do you remember that? The mapping system and we printed it all out and Linda was the co-pilot and I was the driver and we almost were divorced after three kilometres um, because I, what she was communicating, what I was hearing just was not that good. And by the time we got to Norwich and met these friends of ours, they said, how are you? We're fine. No, we weren't fine. Took twice as long, I think, to get there. But I love the GPS, because if you get off and take a wrong turn, it says uh, that it's correcting itself or correcting you and redirecting you. I think God's like that, because some of us have taken a wrong turn or misheard something, made a mistake, and you're not locked in that. And I believe that's a prophetic word for some people today, whether you're in the auditorium or in the online campus, that you, you haven't been sidelined. God's going to redirect you and get you back into your purpose. And I joked when we did get a GPS before, again, it was on the phone, I selected a woman's voice because I wanted a nice lady telling me where to go. <laughs> and I'm thankful that Linda appreciated the joke. I hope she still does. I hope the nice lady comes home tonight. <laughs> The writer of Hebrews, speaking to people who've been incredibly persecuted and everything in their life has been turned upside down and inside out because they follow Jesus, says to them this, and I'm reading it from the message, but it stands up in any translation. I just liked it in the message, Hebrews 10, 32 and following. He says, remember those early days and he lists all the stuff that has gone on. Those were hard times. So don't throw it all away now. You were sure of yourselves then, and he's talking about a God confidence, not a self-confidence. He says it's still a sure thing and you need to stick it out, staying with God's plan so you'll be there for the promised completion. I want you to catch that. You need to stick it out. And whatever's interrupted, disrupted, God is saying to us, if you want to live life on purpose, you need to stick it out. You need some Holy Ghost determination because the promise is still waiting for you. God's not given up on you. God's not given up on the circumstance. Nothing's taken him by surprise. He still has a plan, a future and a hope for you. And I want you to understand, I, this morning I have a sense I'm doing more than just preaching. I'm prophesying something over our lives and I'm expecting things to break in our thinking, in our understanding and a fresh breath of the Spirit of God to stir us up and to allow us to dream again, believe again, step out into things of faith again that maybe we've just pulled back a little bit from because of all the disruptions that have gone on. 
Maybe you're in a place where you you don't enjoy your job. Maybe there's some struggles in your relationships, even your family, your marriage. Maybe you're under financial pressure. Maybe there's a health crisis, but God's got a plan. And Jesus is the answer. And I know it's almost cliche to say that Jesus is the answer, but He is. He is presented as the answer to every single thing we need. And we need that fresh encounter with the Almighty God. Further on in Hebrews 10, in the same context that we've just read that passage of sticking it out because God's got a plan for you and there's a promised completion. In verse 39 says, but we're not quitters who lose out. Oh no, we'll stay with it and survive trusting all the way. We're not quitters. And I want to encourage us to just kind of stir something on the inside as the Spirit of God gets a hold of us this morning and stirs us up in our faith for something fresh, for something new, to to reclaim some things that have been lost or disrupted. And let me give you a few reasons. I'm just going to touch on these. Each of them is a kind of message in itself. But number one, God's not through with you. If you're still drawing breath, it means He's got a plan for you. If you're still on this planet, He's got a plan for you. No matter how discouraged, disrupted, whatever it is that you may or may not be experiencing, God has got a plan for you. God's got a plan for you because you still draw breath. And I love this promise and I'd encourage you, if God speaks to you on this point, claim this verse and declare it over your life for this coming week, this coming month, every single day when you feel maybe a sense of discouragement or uncertainty and you're not sure about what to do or where to go. He has a great promise, Philippians 1 verse 6. I am certain that God who has begun a good work within you will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day that Christ Jesus returns. I am confident, Paul says, that God who started something in you will finish what He started in you until the day of Jesus Christ. And if you're still drawing breath, then God's not finished with you. God's not finished with your circumstance. God's not finished with your life. He's still got something for you. There's a future and a hope. God's got plans, Jeremiah says. In the struggle... The second thing is God wants us to grow up, not give up. Grow up and not give up. Listen to what James says. I love James. He's the half-brother of Jesus who initially thinks Jesus is mad, but then comes to realise that he's Lord and Saviour and addresses him as that. To me, it's one of the greatest evidences of the resurrection of Jesus and the truth of His claims. Because if you have a brother or sister, what it would take for you to convince them that you were the Messiah? (laughs) And like I said, James started off going, no, he's mad. But now he bows the knee. And he says, consider it a sheer gift, friends. When tests and challenges come from you, at all sides, from all sides. Consider it sheer joy, another translation says. Oh, I was so excited about the troubles in my life. No, we don't normally say that, do we? I get so challenged by this verse in terms of my own life, let alone anybody else's life. 
But he goes on, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colours. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let us do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. When you notice, he says, when you're under pressure through trials, through circumstances, through things that cropped up that you weren't planning for, that you weren't expecting, that you didn't ask for, or even the things that you contributed to by making a dumb decision. You didn't think it was dumb at the time, but it proved to be. Again, we won't ask for a show of hands because I think most of us would have to put up our hands and go, yeah, I've had a few of those in my life, you know. He says, when you're under pressure, there's an opportunity either to give up or to stir up faith and your faith life is drawn into the open and you begin to believe for a future, for an answer, for a way forward. And he says, when that happens, you are actually coming to a place of maturity. As much as I hate saying this, the greatest growth in my life was not in the good times, but in the struggle. When you had to learn to press into God and, and it wasn't always done perfectly and it was sometimes done, as Linda would testify, with a really bad attitude and a grumpy attitude. Yeah, there she goes. Yeah, testify, testify. I'm just being honest and really, we don't get it right perfectly. It's not what we're talking about. But there comes a point where we go, well, I've just got to believe God for a solution, for a way forward, for to deal with whatever it is that you're struggling with. And that's the place where God matures you and shapes you. And in that sense, our outlook determines the outcome that God can work in our lives. The outlook determines the outcome. And God tells us to expect trials and faith will always be tested. And testing works something in us is what James is saying. It brings your faith life out and it brings the promises of God into a place where they can be fulfilled. I don't know if you've ever seen um, handmade rugs being woven. And when they're on the loom, if you look at them from the underside, they look like a complete tangled mess. But when you look at it from the top, you see this extraordinary pattern that's been woven by the master who's dealing with it. The person who excels at making carpets or things like that. And I think sometimes from our perspective, we're looking at the underside and we go, God, it's just chaos. It's just a mess. And he says, but I'm looking from the other side and I see a pattern and I see a process and I see a way forward and it's beautiful when I'm shaping it. Yeah, but God, I just see this tangled mess. Yeah, yeah, but God says, I can see it and I'm weaving something into your life. And so don't judge the work of God in your life by looking at the wrong side of what He's doing. He looks at your life and my life, planned from eternity past, and He's weaving something extraordinary through all the circumstances. Don't look at the tangled mess. Look at the one who's weaving something beautiful into your life. God's not through with you. In the pressure, God wants us to grow up. The third thing is opportunity. I'm talking about divine opportunity. Always has opposition. Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, 
talks about wanting to visit people and he says, I hope to spend some time with you. And then he adds this little phrase, if the Lord permits. And right there is that tension between us planning things, but also surrendering our plans to God. And maybe that's the place where you are right now. God, I've got plans. I've been prayerful about them. I'm hoping that they're from you, but I'm going to actually put my plans into your hands and say, God, I'm planning this. See, God's not against us making plans prayerfully and thoughtfully and intentionally, but He says, hold them lightly so that if they change, you don't get too discouraged if the Lord permits And if you read Paul's story, and we don't have time to go into it, he had plan A that got thwarted. He had plan B that got thwarted. He had plan C and God had plan D, but plan D was actually God's plan A. And Paul never gave up. He just said, okay, well, I'll make an adjustment because my attitude is I'll put these plans in God's hand. And if that's the way forward, the Lord will permit it. I remember as a young Christian in the church that I was in, in South Africa, they'd say, what are you going to do this week? And I'd say whatever it was I'm going to do. And then somebody would say, to finish the sentence off, if the Lord permits. And so it became this thing in our church that you didn't say anything about what you were going to do without adding that little, if the Lord permits. And it's actually a biblical concept. To be honest, I think it got a little bit religious back there. And, but it, it, it sowed something. We're going to do this if the Lord permits. And James says that in James chapter 4, verse 15 and following. What you ought to say is, and he's talking about making plans and declaring what you do. If the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans. And all such boasting is evil. And what what he's saying here is when you make plans, and I want to stress, God loves us to make plans around His Word, around His promises, around the sense of what He's called us to. But to hold them in that thing and say, God, if there's a better way of doing this, if there's a better way of getting to where I think you want me to be, I'm going to put that in your hands if the Lord permits. I don't want to be arrogant about my plans and the things that I believe have come from you. And God's always got a better way of doing it. Have you noticed that? It's not always the easiest way. It's not always the most pleasant way, but it's a better way because it, it comes from the hand of God. It's Him weaving the poem of our life through the rare circumstances. And so Paul then comes to this declaration He says, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. And he says, a huge and important door has opened for me here and there's plenty of opposition. (laughs) Whatever opportunity God is opening for you, this is not being negative. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be things that the devil will try to do to mess it up. There'll be just life things that happen that the devil has nothing to do with, but it's just life had something to do with it. But it's a door of opportunity. And there's going to be some resistance. There's going to be some struggle. There's going to be that need for determination in just hanging tough in the thing that God is calling you to. I love something that G. Campbell Morgan said, who's referred to as one of the prince of preachers. 
And he says, I know the fascination of having a program and having everything in order, but let us leave room at any rate for the interference of God. (laughs) And obviously he's been a little bit tongue in cheek because when God interferes, he's actually just bringing us back onto his plan. Let us make room for the interference of God and not get discouraged, disappointed because it didn't work out exactly like I planned or like you planned. You want to read a story on this? We don't have time to drop in. Read the story of Joseph in Genesis of what he thought is going to happen and how it was going to happen. And even what he told his brothers and parents how it was going to happen and then how it actually happened. And there would have been times in his imprisonment and he's betrayed and all the things that go on in his life. It's an incredible story where he might have wondered, God, where are you in this? But when it comes to fulfillment, he said all the terrible things that people did, and he's addressing his brothers in particular who'd betrayed him and sold him into slavery after thinking about killing him first. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And there's some things that have gone in on your lives. And again, I'm prophesying something. I'm speaking something over your life to break it open. I'm speaking it over my life. There are things that maybe went on in the season that somebody meant it for evil or that the devil was just stirring up trouble or whatever it is. But God's got a plan and God's working it for good because He can do that. And His interferences and His interventions are to redirect, to strengthen, to grow you so you can fulfill your destiny. I need to keep moving. The fourth thing is God promises that harvest is coming. So we've got this thing, God's not through with you. God wants us to grow up. Opportunity always has opposition, but God promises that harvest is coming. Galatians 6 and verse 9. So let us not get tired of doing what is good. For just the right time, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. If we don't give up. I was doing a little bit of extra reading around this passage and I came across a statement that was just brilliant. We need to lock into the agriculture of the Holy Spirit. I understand agriculture. I went to an agricultural college. know what it's like to plough, to sow seeds, to clear fields, to do all that kind of stuff. And when you sow something, there's an expectation that if you sow wheat, you'll reap wheat. And so you can, you're going to reap something else. And there's this natural principle in agriculture that farmers around the world depend on. They count on it. They count on it. And Paul says there's a similar kind of agriculture that goes on in the realm of the Spirit. That if you keep sowing into the promises of God, God guarantees you will reap a blessing. Don't stop sowing. And one of the things that we sow the most with is just determination. The next thing, and the piano's playing, so it's time to wrap up. (laughs) He's got to get an eternal perspective. Paul talking about some of the persecution and things that happened to him as he 
fulfill God's plan and destiny of preaching to the Gentiles saying, thank God He did, because we're here because He did that and He didn't give up along with others and His team. And He's look, He lists all these things. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. We don't give in to discouragement. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. But then this statement, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When you're in the troubles that he's talking about, under the pressure, it doesn't feel like a moment. It feels like it'll never end. Come on, let's be honest. There's some things you just go, when will this end, God? But he says in the light of eternity, it was a moment. It was a moment. The pressure you're under, the, the thing that's going on, it's a moment. It's not eternity. And he says that moment is working something for you in eternity. And we need to say, God, help me get through the moment that I'm in. Because I believe you've got something greater for me, not just in eternity, but also in this life. But if it were only to be in eternity, the moment in the light of the glory of God is worth it because it's working an eternal weight of glory, eternal weight of God's presence and power in your life and in your circumstance. He says, don't get so obsessed that you only see the visible and forget that there's an invisible realm that you and I as followers of Jesus are operating in. Don't magnify the moment and don't overstate what is visible because the moment leads to eternity and the visible, there's something going on in the invisible in your life and in my life. We need to see the moment in the context of eternity and the visible in the context of the invisible. Everybody ends up somewhere, but not everybody ends up there on purpose.